The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Thanks so much for tuning in. On today's episode, I'm interviewing Dr. Barry Singer. He is an MS neurologist as well as director and founder of the MS Center for Innovations in Care at Missouri Baptist Medical Center. He has been an investigator in greater than 35 multiple sclerosis trials focused on new therapeutic options, including remyelination. He really knows his stuff, and in today's episode, we talk about symptom management for fatigue, pain, and bladder. This episode is chock full of his best recommendations for therapies and medications for these specific symptoms. You'll definitely want to take some notes or just come back to this episode for future reference. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Barry Singer, thank you so much for being here with us today. All right. I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much, uh, Dr. Holly. Of course. So I've got a lot of MS symptom management questions for you, but before we dive in, is it okay if I ask you a question from my interview deck? All right. Wild card. <laughs> here we go. Yes. All right. Your card is, do you have an area of your life that you are never satisfied with? Mm, area of my life. Well, I'm kind of a painter, actually. I've been painting since I was a boy and I uh, love to paint. And so uh, I work too much. <laughs> so unless I start painting at three in the morning. Uh, so yeah, that part of my life, I'd like to get back to it, get to the easel more, uh, more frequently. I love that. What type of things do you typically paint? Uh, using oils. So uh, tend to be like kind of twists on uh, still lives. Oh, very cool. Nice. All right. So let's just go ahead and dive in. So honestly, with the MS symptom management, I feel like we could talk for days about ways to manage symptoms. So I have a few specific ones that I want to talk to you about. Okay. First and foremost, what are your thoughts on fatigue and best practices to manage fatigue since that's one of the most common symptoms? Yeah. So question. Yeah. So over about 90% of people with MS level of fatigue. And so one of the important things if you're going to address fatigue is what type of fatigue is it? So it could be motor fatigue. You deal with this in the world of therapy. So if their legs are weak, it takes a lot of energy to get from point A to point B, you get worn out, you know, physically worn out. Um, but the more common fatigue is actually like you didn't get enough sleep. 
and you really feel like really tired, like uh, you're drowsy, but you don't feel perky enough. And it can be overwhelming. I mean, some people get up in the morning, they take a shower, and then they go and lie down on the bed because they're just so worn out. And so that's the overwhelming fatigue that a lot of people, family members don't get, you know, friends don't get sometimes how much that can be, how debilitating they can be. So we will look at a different ways of trying to address that. So some of them, you know, we try to look at, uh, first of all, is a person getting enough sleep? So that's a huge issue with a lot of patients. Some people are just anxious. They can't shut it off. You know, their brain is going round and round and round, uh, trying to solve everybody's problems that night or what happened during work that day. So we, we really work on that. Um, restless legs is a big issue. So some people kind of move their legs around. Sleep apnea is very common. Going to the bathroom numerous times at night, leg spasms at night. So we really have to address good sleep. And then once you have good sleep worked out, then you have to kind of think about your schedule. And we talk about energy conservation. And so another way of looking at this is the spoon theory. You have a certain amount of energy, certain amount of spoons each day. And if you use them up too early, then you don't have any gas later in the day. So what we want to do is focus on trying to do those physical activities in the morning, give yourself a break midday, and then maybe some lighter activity in the in later in the day. So kind of spreading things out. If you work all day, can you spend 15 minutes or 30 minutes of your lunch break just resting and, and relaxing? Can you take a nap in the middle of the day if you're you know, not working? Those would be all approaches, non-pharmacologic. And then we really focus on if, if that doesn't work, then, you know, we do have some medications that work. And so none of these are really FDA approved for the treatment of fatigue. I tend to use uh, modafinil or provigil or armodafinil or nuvigil first. I find them well tolerated and they generally work well for patients. Amantadine is an old generic medication. I give it about 50-50 if it could work. It's got some side effects, including kind of a mottled rash in the legs and some leg swelling. And then um, if we need to, sometimes the amphetamines can make a big difference, Ritalin, Adderall. So we try to stay away from the medications if we can. Um, Cognitive behavioral therapy has been shown in clinical trials to really work well for fatigue. So there's growing literature on using, uh, using that as a strategy which is a great non-pharmacologic way of treating fatigue. That's really helpful. And I'm glad that you started with differentiating between the two different types of fatigue, because there is a difference. And I love that you mentioned that people without MS don't fully understand. You know, it's a very different type of fatigue than what someone without MS would experience. So- Yeah, I find that really, it's very frustrating too, you know, for people living with MS because people don't get it, you know, like to cancel because it's just a bad day for you. And sometimes people just don't understand it. They say, oh, you look great, but they have no idea you're dealing with- burning pins and needles and bladder problems and word finding yes. difficulties and all these different symptoms that you can't see. Yeah. And so I was at the annual MS conference back in October from the CMSC and sleep was a huge topic. And they mentioned the cognitive behavioral therapy. And it's so true when you, when you're not getting good sleep, any of your symptoms can worsen, but especially fatigue. So if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, oh yeah, my, my sleep is awful. Is that something they should go to their neurologist about first or a sleep therapist? Where would they go to start this journey? 
Yeah, I think the first place is you can go to your neurologist. I mean, I think we are, we're pretty good at addressing that. So we can sit down and talk about what are the issues, you know, which one of those aspects that we talk about is a restless legs, neurologists can treat that, um, spasms or bladder problems, we can address that. Maybe we'd send you off to a urologist if it was bad enough that we need some help there. Sleep clinics definitely can be an option. So that's how you would kind of diagnose obstructive sleep apnea. Restless legs during sleep is called periodic limb movements of sleep. So those are things that you can, uh, you know, getting a sleep uh, specialist can sometimes help. But they you are know, usually your neurologist, uh, MS docs in particular, are pretty well versed on it. And frankly, most general neurologists do a lot of sleep management. And that sounds great. Okay. So next symptom is pain. And this is another one where there's so many different types of pain. Can you first explain what the different types that you most commonly see are, and then some strategies to reduce it? Yeah. So there's a lot of different types of painful syndromes. Uh, I guess we can start from the top of the head and work our way down. <laughs> so one of them, the, probably the, one of the most painful conditions is trigeminal neuralgia, which is a sharp shooting electrical pain, sometimes lasting a few seconds, 30 seconds or a minute at a time, like a shock. And it can be radiated into three distributions. One is uh, across the forehead, one is into the cheek, and then one is into the jawline. And there's three branches of the trigeminal nerve. And sometimes it's the whole side of the face. It can be on both sides, but typically one side. And it's just this excruciating electrical pain. People that have had natural childbirth and also kidney stones to say this is worse. So it's pretty oh severe. Gosh. Yeah. And it just it's electrical pain and then it may be some lingering pain afterwards and it can occur multiple times a day or even an hour. Um, some people have gone to dentists if it's in the jawline and have had teeth extracted. So kind of barking up the wrong tree. So that responds, um, if in an acute episode, then we would treat it with uh, steroids, IV steroids as a relapse. But if it's ongoing, then we look at medication. So there's quite a few meds that we use, things like Neurontin or Gabapentin, something called Oxcarbazepine, also known as Trileptal, or Carbamazepine, which is known as Tegretol, or some of the medications. But we do have an array of medications that can help reduce that pain. Sometimes we have to work through the list. If it doesn't respond to that, there are some neurosurgical procedures that can really provide significant relief. So I've had patients where that worked well for them. So that's up in the head. And then we move on down. So one of the bad problems that we have with MS is some people get the MS hug, which is a squeezing pressure around the torso. It's not a comfortable hug. It's a, like a bear hug that's squeezing. And then some people it even catches their breath. And so we use kind of a mix of options there. And one of those things that we use is muscle relaxants. For example, baclofen, tizanidine sometimes helps. And other patients seem to respond better to nerve pain medications, such as gabapentin or Lyrica, which is uh, pre so those medications sometimes help with the MS hug. And then a lot of people with MS have burning pins and needles pain. So that could be anywhere. It could be one side of your body. It could be your legs down. And so that can be very painful, burning pins and needles, tingling. And that really responds pretty well to uh, nerve pain medications. So again, the 10 to use drugs like gabapentin or neurontin 
pregabalin or Lyrica, and then duloxetine or Cymbalta, which is an antidepressant medication that works really well for nerve pain. So I've been very happy with that medication. Sometimes chronic nerve pain causes depression. So if you have one medication that controls two things, that really helps. So most of the nerve pain medications uh, are kind of the way we go with that. It's hard to do that non-pharmacologically, deal with nerve pain. I mean, if it's not bad, you can put up with it, but eventually it might hit that threshold where, you know, it's great to get that under control. Wow. So lots of different options. So does it normally work kind of the same as most pharmacological agents with insurance companies where you'd have to start with one, see if it works. If it doesn't, you can move to the next one. No, generally we can get these approved. So, you know, usually we can get them through. I mean, occasionally insurance plans a little more restrictive, but these are all generic medications. So, and they've been around for a while. So usually we can get them, you know, and you kind of, they all have potential side effects. So you kind of look at what, what makes sense between you and your provider. And if those don't work, there's uh, other medications that we work through, like amitriptyline, Topamax, Capra. So there's some other medications that sometimes will work for an individual. And so that's really important. Now, the other painful component is muscle spasms. So cramping or tightness in the legs. So we definitely focus on stretching for those people. Muscle relaxants can help. And actually there's some data even on cannabis in terms of um, mixed THC, CBD and helping muscle spasms and multiple sclerosis. So that can be quite painful, but um, physical therapy and, and stretching can make a big difference. Massage therapy can help with the spasms. There's one type of spasm that's really bad and they can either be um, we call them flexor spasms, which when your arms get flexed up and then extensor spasms where the arms and legs shoot out. And those kind of spasms can be very painful. Um, and sometimes the seizure medications such as oxcarbazepine can help with those. And then these spasms can come on and be quite severe. So again, if you're having pain from MS, it's really important to talk to your healthcare providers about, you know, what are the options out there? Yeah. And it sounds like there's a ton of options. What are your thoughts on tremors? So as a physical therapist, I work a lot with muscle spasms and tremors. Can tremors be caused from the MS itself, kind of like primary tremors versus muscle weakness or spasticity? Yeah. So we definitely see like the most common tremor that we see in MS is a cerebellar tremor. And so what this is, is basically when you go to reach for something, someone's arm goes back and forth. So you're reaching for something and it just kind of goes back and forth while you're trying to grab something. And we call that an oscillation. It's kind of a back and forth. And that can be very disabling. And sometimes it's associated with poor balance. Uh, someone stands up and their balance is off. So that's kind of the most common tremor. If you're weak and overexerted yourself, then you, know, you might get a little shaky. But in terms of tremor, uh, we tend to see that with that. Now, there's a benign tremor called benign essential tremor, which is a mild a uh, little hand tremor where your hands jigger, uh, jiggle a little bit. And that's sometimes unrelated to MS. And so I find that pretty commonly in, uh, out there in the general population. So people with MS may have another condition that could be treated. So we definitely look at options to try to control the tremor. True. Yeah. It's very rare that someone just has MS and no other comorbidities or different diagnoses, at least well, from what I well see. particularly as you age, you know, yes. uh, a lot of our, a lot of our, my young patients don't have any other medical problems. True. Unfortunately, things tend to add up over time. 
Yeah. So my final symptom management question for you is about bladder. This is another symptom that often goes unnoticed to the public because you deal with it kind of in private, but so many people that I work with who have MS have some type of bladder issues. Similar style here, can you explain the differences and then what we can do? Yeah, so um, there's a few different types of bladder symptoms that people with MS have. Um, this is also very common. One of them is bladder urgency. So when I gotta go, I gotta go. Um, so when you gotta go, you gotta really run to the bathroom. And if not, you could have some leakage, you know, requiring a pad or sometimes incontinence. And it, of course, this is magnified if you got mobility issues. So, you know, if you use a cane or a walker and all of a sudden you got urgency, it's a lot harder to get to the bathroom quickly. Um, so again, we try to manage it without medications if you can. So caffeine will make it worse. You know, some people drink less water, but it can cause some constipation. So we kind of kind of have to watch that a little bit. But planning, you know, going to the bathroom before you get in the car, you know, planning things out can make a big difference. And if it doesn't work, then there are some medications. There's two classes of medications that can help. One of them is they're called anticholinergic medications, and they include things like oxybutyn, which is like an old one, sulfinicin. And so these are medications that can help with the bladder and really slow down the urgency. So they can make a big difference, keep people dry, so they really help. The anticholinergics that sometimes cause dry mouth and uh, may potentially impact memory. So that could be a concern if you're already having significant cognitive problems. There's another drug that's only brand name called Mirbetric, and Mirbetric works differently. So it doesn't cause that dry mouth, but sometimes can cause an increase in blood pressure. So we use those for urgency. If that doesn't work, Botox is a great option for some patients. And so the bladder can be injected with Botox and works for six months uh, in general. And so the urgency goes away and you don't have to take medications regularly. If it works too well, though, you may have trouble avoiding initially and you may have to do self-catheterization for a short period of time. But many of my patients that have gotten uh, Botox feel great afterwards and they're glad they finally did it. So the usual comment is, they should have done this 10 years ago. So, <laughs> so it's, a, it's a good option. Now, other people can't empty their bladder completely. So if you have trouble emptying the bladder completely, then you're retaining urine. And you kind of think about a bowl of water. If you laid it on your counter for a couple of days, you're not going to want to drink that, right? Because the bacteria would overgrow. Well, the same thing happens to the bladder. So if you're not emptying completely, you know, your bladder is full, then bacteria can overgrow. And as a result, that can lead to recurrent UTIs. So the treatment for that sometimes is medication, but generally uh, people that are retaining end up doing some self-catheterization. So it's a sterile uh, disposable catheter that you use maybe four times a day, four to five times a day, and it empties the bladder completely on demand. Frequently, it stops the UTIs. Now, some people are mixed. They have, they have they trouble emptying plus bladder urgency. So the urologist can help sort through that and figure out the best treatment approach. Wow. So what I'm hearing from our entire conversation is there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of options out there. And as long as you bring up these symptoms to your neurologist, you should have many things to work on. And, you know, maybe you start with one, see how it works and then transition to something else. Right. And like anything else, I mean, we try to avoid medication or intervention unless we need it. 
And so, you know, you don't want to take a pill for every MS symptom. We have a lot of different symptoms and a lot of different treatments. So you pick what things are really driving your quality of life down. Um, and if it's a bladder that's keeping you up at night, so you don't get enough sleep, and then you're tired at work and you can't focus and it's affecting your memory, then let's fix the bladder. So we've tried to find which symptom is the, you know, really driving a lot of the impaired quality of life. And once we can fix that, you know, a lot of times things are much better. I can think of a lot of people where I improved their nerve pain. And so their quality of life just shot right up and they feel great. So um, that's really important. So really prioritizing what needs to be fixed, uh, first is, is what we can do. And most symptoms we can address. I think the hard one that we have is a cognitive impairment. So memory problems, uh, processing information. And that's probably our most challenging symptom because we don't have a quick fix for that one. Yeah. And as you mentioned too, if you can fix one, sometimes others automatically improve. Like as we were talking in the very beginning, if you can improve your sleep, your fatigue might improve, your spasticity might improve. So Right. As you mentioned, you know, focus on one first and then see where that leads you. Yeah, exactly right. And that's what we generally do. See, see which symptoms are really driving uh, the problems. And for a lot of people, it's the fatigue issue. So if we address fatigue, they can exercise more, feel better, perform better at work or be able to take care of their family more, able to knock out some laundry instead of taking a nap. So it really makes a big difference. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, this has been so insightful. I've learned so much and been reminded of so many things. I feel like this will give a lot of our listeners hope and also things to think about and mention to their neurologist the next time they go to their appointment. As you mentioned, you're kind of all over. You've got a website, you have your own podcast. Where can people find you if they want to learn more? Oh, all right. Thanks, Gretchen. So a few different ways. So the website that I actually created for patient education is called mslivingwell.org. And I started in 2007 and it's been a resource on there. There's information about managing symptoms like we were talking about, um, understanding your MRI, understanding the disease, blog section, as well as links to the podcast. So the podcast is called MS Living Well. And I started it about four years ago and I interview over 50 people at this point and but different things. Um, some are symptoms of the, the disease. Last one was on aging and MS. I have one on diet just recently. And I tend to interview like leading global experts in the field as well as some patient advocates. Um, but generally uh, global experts in that particular area recently uh, one on Epstein-Barr virus with Alberto Scari, who actually uh, did the research on Epstein-Barr virus as a trigger for MS. So it's been uh, great to get uh, my colleague and some of our uh, great patient advocates on. And really, it's about providing um, information, just like this session, to uh, to people living with MS. And then I'm also pretty active on Twitter. So at Dr. Barry Singer, uh, you can follow me there. Awesome. And I will put all of those links in the show notes. So if anyone's listening and driving, don't, don't stop and don't, don't try to do it on your own. Uh, so I'll include the website, the podcast, the Twitter. And I've just got to say too, your website is amazing. You know, there's a whole section for the newly diagnosed, and then there's a separate section for understanding MS, what to expect. So it's a, a great resource. Your podcast is so varied, so many different types of conversations that are important to learn. So I, I'm a huge fan of everything that you do. So thank you so much for talking to us today and sharing your insights. 
All right. Well, thanks, Dr. Holly. Thanks for all you're doing to educate the MS community. And that's that's really the goal. You know, knowledge is power. I believe that strongly uh, over my career is that uh, patients that are more informed, people living with MS are more informed, make better decisions for themselves and better advocate for their health care. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.